Welcome to End the Zone, guys. I'm your host, Garrison Roy. And uh, today we will have a full-length interview, but if you're new to the show, we do have Rant's Mental Minutes to help out with the mental game and as well as deep dive educational things. And we might get a little bit more educational piece in this one as well. Um, But for a future reference as well, too, if you have any other questions, topics, or other guests that you want to have on the podcast, you can email that in to endthezone123 at gmail.com and share the show because I don't run ads or anything. I'm not trying to make money with this or run any sponsorships on things that I don't even use. So this is all just trying to spread the knowledge and uh, pay it forward in the game. And if you liked it, you heard something that you you know liked or maybe gave you a different perspective on, you know, share the show or share it with a friend because uh, I believe in value exchange. So without further ado, We'll go ahead and get into it with this one with Chris O'Leary. Chris, what's going on, man? Hey, thanks. No, thanks for the opportunity. Sorry, it's taken me a while to get going, but you know, I appreciate it. So, and yeah. you can you can count on pitchers breaking every day or multiple times a day. Sadly, yeah. so it's you know as soon as the season starts, it's a you know it's a it's a topic of conversation. It's a relevant topic. So sure. Well, I would say like in a global setting, right? Like this is definitely that time of year where guys are getting a little bit more exposed with what they did in the off season or lack of what they did in the off season leading up into them, you know, starting to kind of hit those breaking points, so to speak, right. Where they're, they're trying to overcompensate and their body's only able to withstand that for, for so long. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, well, I'm not, I'm not dealing with it as much as I have in the past, but I see that with, you know, like nephews and my nephew's teams and, and those kinds of things. So it's, uh, you know, as, as soon as you start putting a load on an arm, you develop problems and increasingly because arms are so overloaded, it's, it's even more of an issue. So. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think we have a little bit more in common than you, you think uh, I'm actually a Cardinals fan as well. And uh, was born in St. Louis down there at the old Jewish hospital. So. Okay. You know, definitely like seeing some of your stuff on some of the takes of, uh, you know, current current Cardinals guys. Um, but, yeah, uh, we, we did have some Twitter interactions here, and that's kind of how we we linked to get together to, to make this podcast happen. Um, but we were talking about, you know, getting away from staying away from arm loading or right. and, and versus body loading, which I totally agree with, because there's a lot of, you know, different types of coaching out there that's forcing guys to. Uh, I guess, create certain patterns that are not necessarily natural or fluid. And it does tend to cause more problems than it does help them. Uh, it will. And I, and I refer to those as tricks and shortcuts. Sure. You know, yes, yes, they work. But as your coach has told you or should have told you, there are no shortcuts or at a minimum, there are consequences to shortcuts. And the problem is, is that those consequences, it's one of the real problems with the state of the game is that people are no longer talking about the consequences of those tricks and those shortcuts. And that's, you know, that's what I've spent kind of the past 15 years or so is just 
trying to document those and explain to people what's going on. And, and, you know, and it, it started out 15 years ago with my trying to understand what was going on. Uh, you know, that was, that was Mark Pryor and Carrie Wood. And that's when pitchers really started to get really fragile. And a lot of the, you know, the guaranteed arms, you know, as, as a Cardinal fan, uh, the Cubs were terrifying 2003, mm-hmm. 2004, 2005. Oh my gosh. They've got a dynasty. You know, how long, how long are these guys going to be good? And then wood breaks and prior breaks and wood comes back and then he breaks again and prior never gets back. And, you know, that just, that just kind of piqued my interest trying to understand exactly what was going on. Oh yeah. Well, that's, that's around the time where I started my journey too. And I was personally doing things like going to Tom house seminars and things like that and seeing some of that unfold. And I was like, somehow in the back of my head, I was like, all right, like Mark Pryor is a picture perfect guy. Okay. Nolan Ryan, he's already done, but why does he keep getting injured? Who really knows? Well, and that's and good and good for you. That's the and that's the frustrating thing about the present moment is okay, it's fine for people to hold up Mark Pryor as an example, but when he breaks, you have to have an have an answer for that. Oh, absolutely. And, and okay, you know, Mark Pryor was a fluke, but then what happened to Anthony Reyes? You know, it's what's what's frustrating is when people don't follow up on and then, and then, and what about, and what about, and what about? That's when, you know, that's that's kind of the frustrating point when the frustration really really starts. And, you know, I ran into that with Jeff Passan in his book, and he didn't really want to hear about any of it. Uh, but I, I think anybody who knows the game, knows the history of the game, you know, even was going to the games in the nineties, you know, with the Braves and, and their starters and everything knows that the game is, is very different. And there are, there are reasons for that. There are explanations for that. Now, you know, I talk about the idea of informed consent. Some of this stuff isn't necessarily wrong, but at a minimum, people should be giving informed consent to what is being done to them and to their arms. And that's the concern I have. And that's one of the things I want to talk about and make people aware of. I, you know, I, I think between us, we can do a good job on it is helping people understand exactly how the game has changed in the past 10 to 15 years, especially. And the consequences for pitchers, why you know, why there's a, dra- a straight line between 2005, 2000, Tom House, and, you know, what's what's going on today in the Cardinals rotation and in the game of baseball. Yeah, well, that that's whenever all the pitching coaches, quote unquote, started to get introduced and then having a lot of that as an influence. I like to call it, you know, coaching corruption in a way, right. not, a, not that all of it is corruptive by any means. There's definitely some beneficial components to it um you know but there are certain things where coaches can get in the way right and and do more harm than good and you know tom and various other people in the industry i'm sure like hey like i got that wrong back in the day and they're willing to admit that and i respect them whenever they do say that it's like hey yeah sorry apologize for all you guys that came before me or you know that that did all this stuff and we found out that this actually wasn't the best thing to do (laughs) you know right all right, well, at least you admit it. But, you know, it's I, I like what you said there, having a form, informed consent of knowing what they're actually getting. And, you know, sometimes what worked for Jimmy may not work for John, 
you know, as far as how their bodies are constructed and how they're going to be able to, you know, just adapt not only physiologically, but even throughout all the other stresses in their life too. Well, it, and let me, let me make it, let me make a point. There, there really are two paths to success. One of which is the starter, Justin Verlander, Nolan Ryan, Tom Seaver path. Then there's more of a reliever path, which is where you get into the kind of problematic arm actions, which is how a lot of this started. In a minute, I'll, I'll go back and kind of give a history lesson. It's it's not that the inverted W and the Tommy John twist don't work. They do, but they come at a cost. Uh, the frustrating part for me is that people seem reluctant to acknowledge the fact that Justin Verlander actually threw as hard, if not harder, than Mark Pryor. Uh, so it does seem like there are two paths to success. And, you know, Aroldis Chapman throws throws ridiculously hard. And I would put Aroldis Chapman in a starter movement pattern, which is one of the reasons why, even though he's a reliever, he's still lasted and has relatively maintained his velocity. Uh, The problem with that starter pattern is that not everyone can move. Not everyone can do it. Not everyone has the athleticism of a, you know, of a Justin Verlander, of a Nolan Ryan, of a Aroldis Chapman, uh, Tim Linscombe, he he actually moved relatively well, although he put some tricks in there that that caused problems. But you know, Tim Linscombe kind of maximized his talent for a for a not gigantic guy. Uh, what I want people to understand is that there are there are trade offs to this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but first and foremost, what I try to teach is. Let's try the starter Verlander Nolan Ryan pattern and see if that works for you. If by your junior year or your senior year of high school or college, that's not really working for you, then it may make sense to try one of the tricks and shortcuts in order to give yourself a chance to move on to the next level, especially if you're a high schooler. Yeah, or but but even even in college to a degree, you know, I taught some of this bad stuff to my pitchers. The thing the thing is, and the difference is, is I had them give informed consent. I said, "Listen, this may minimize you, but the fact is, is that eighty nine a reliever throwing eighty nine who doesn't strike out enough guys that's just not you know you're not gonna you're not gonna make it to the next level. You're not gonna get drafted, whatever. Yeah, when uh, you've got other guys going ninety eight to one hundred. That's so. right. You know, let's be realistic about this, but, you know, and, you know, but I I wish people would be more patient about some of these things. And I've I've made tweets about, you know, I don't think there are any starting major league pitchers left in the SEC. Too many compromises have to be made in order to be able to be dominant in the SEC. And one of the differences is that in just college baseball, NCAA baseball, like Japan baseball, that starters are throwing every seventh day rather than every fifth day. And that that is a significant difference. You can get away with stuff throwing every seven days. You know, Carson Fulmer is an example of that. Sure. Kamar Rocker, I think, will will end up proving that. A lot of the Vanderbilt guys, uh, you know, Kyle Wright. There are things you can do every seven days that you can't do every five days. Every five days is very demanding, and I think you have to move better if you want to last. Uh, sure. Uh, so would would that, I guess for guys who are transitioning from that college point, trying to become a five, five day starter, 
their training should probably reflect that and see if they're able to withstand that stress. Is that right? Okay. Right. Yeah. And you know, and, and well, and some of it is, some of it is being patient. You know, that's, I I had a brief conversation with Justin Verlander on a plane. Uh, He was on a plane. I was just on the internet. He gave me a few things, but one of the, one of the key things that came across from, from him was patience. The idea of being patience. He was, he was a good pitcher in high school, but he didn't go SEC. He didn't go top tier D1. He went Old Dominion, which is, you know, a D1 school and a good program and everything, but not the best of the best of the best. But what that allowed him to do was to kind of slowly, patiently develop, uh, gain a little bit more velocity, but also more importantly, learn how to command his velocity. But the, the people need to understand that Justin Verlander wasn't JV until his second year of pro ball. That requires a level of patience that, you know, a, a lot of guys, they don't have the patience to be a dude in sophomore year of college or even sophomore year of high school. Everybody wants more now. And that basically necessitates that they go the route of the tricks and the shortcuts. And that's where, in my opinion, and my concern is that informed consent isn't being given. And informed consent is basically the idea that if I'm going to do something to you, you're going to understand both the ups and the downs, you know, both the benefits, but also the risks. And and that's the concern that I have that is that people aren't being informed of all the risks that come with the tricks and shortcuts that are being taught. No, yeah. Well, I mean, I could use this as a analogy, I guess, as far as we could say stock market, for example, right? It's like, hey, you're either going to gain or lose. There's really kind of, I mean, you could have a stagnant one and and the macro perspective of things or, you know, but eventually it's going to have to go up or down. Uh, Well, and and I've used that analogy myself. In the stock market, you're not going to make any money if you're not taking any risks. Right, exactly. But the thing is, is that you, when you're taking risks, you have to understand that you're taking risks. Otherwise, you're in the 2008 financial crisis when you're taking risks without understanding that you're taking risks. Mm-hmm. And the state of the art of pitching mechanics is basically the 2008 financial crisis where pitchers are breaking and nobody's ta- nobody will even talk about it. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's a good point. And, you know, it's even in the training side of things with guys that I work with as well, it's like, hey, there's a risk reward. Like, do I want guys to do a lot of power cleans? Probably not because the risk definitely outweighs the reward with that. There's other ways to go about doing that. Now, you know, if your school makes you do that or you've done it in the past, cool, that's great because you developed that skill, I guess, if you even want to go down that route. But, you know, I definitely agree with you there. There is a risk and reward that needs to be weighed with a lot of this stuff. Skip ahead the next 60 seconds if you don't want to find out about a company I co-founded, Ink Sports Performance. So here's the scoop. At Ink Sports Performance, we get it. We were athletes ourselves, former college and professional pitchers. We were also former college coaches as well. Rob and I, we don't do one-size-fits-all programs. We custom craft each training and throwing program and offer that one-on-one coaching support that you need where you're not just a number. We're all about that personal touch. We'll dive into your training videos, whip up some of the program designed to take you to your next level. Nothing cookie cutter here. So if you, one of your friends, or maybe a player that you know is serious about competing at the next level, hit us up on our website, give us a call, 
Get that set up at inksportsperformance.com. And also, just a heads up, we're also very selective who we take, right? We only take a handful of dedicated athletes. And if you're not putting in the work, we'll have to say goodbye. So let's ink you in to the next level. Right. Well, let me let me give a little history lesson and see if it jives with you. Let's hear it. Uh, so so I got into this 2005, 2006. My older son was, you know, 11 or so, was pitching. I screwed up my arm when I was a kid. I didn't want what happened to me to happen to my son. So I started trying to understand what was going on. Went down the route of Dr. Mike Marshall. There was some interesting stuff there, but there was also a lot of overblown, overhyped promises. Sure. So then I started casting a wider net, learning about Tom House, learning about Paul Nyman. So uh, Paul Nyman is kind of the biggest name. Basically, all these these velocity ideas really come out of a guy named Paul Nyman, uh, who started in the late 90s or so, an engineer. And the thing you need to understand about Paul Nyman is all Paul Nyman cares about is velocity. He's very fatalistic about injuries. But Paul Nyman noticed that relievers, this is like 90s era relievers, Billy Wagner uh, in particular, throws harder than basically anybody else, especially starters. And some of this was, you know, comparing Billy Wagner versus Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin. Oh, yeah. Uh, close. John, John <laughs> Smoltz throws harder than Glavin or Maddox. Paul Nyman noticed and documented those differences. Now, Paul Nyman was building on the work of a guy named Jim Dixon. And I actually like Dixon's work because Dixon's stuff is very about, very much about athleticism, core loading versus arm loading. But what Nyman ended up going with was a lot of this arm loading stuff, what I call arm loading versus body loading. Body loading is throwing with your whole body. Arm loading is scap loading those kinds of things you know the high the high elbows the inverted w the inverted v the inverted l kind of stuff uh i would consider those as like um what i've came around to say is like more hand driven or elbow like they're not letting everything of the sequence through the foot through the legs through the torso allow everything to happen instead they're bypassing all of that and then they're just cranking it just with their arm well, and a lot of the cues that come out of Nyman's stuff are elbow cues, elbow, elbow, elbow. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, my nephew does the elbow loading stuff. I don't exactly know why. I think he has kind of that visual connection where he saw people doing it. He just said, you know, well, if Jack Flaherty does it, then I'm going to do this. If Wainwright does it, then I'm going to do it. I don't think he was taught it. It may have been that he was taught kind of get your elbow up thing, which is really an arm slot thing, but he interpreted it as kind of an elbow hike thing. I don't I don't exactly know what happened. It's it's a little kind of scary for me to have a nephew who throws like Billy Wagner. Not Oh yeah. Not, not Justin Verlander. That's fair. I mean, there there is some nuance to it, right? It's like, hey, is this the kid's interpretation? It that could have been you right. know, missing. And it's it's the problem of cues and everything. But so so Jim Di- so Jim Dixon who's like an 80s early 90s era guy begat Paul Nyman. Paul Nyman begat Tom House. 
basically Tom House picked up a lot of Nyman's stuff and popularized it. He House borrowed a lot of Nyman's stuff, mm-hmm. uh, particularly the scap loading stuff, the inversion stuff, the inverted W. Paul Nyman taught that stuff to Mark Pryor, uh, to Anthony Reyes, a few other guys who came through USC. Uh, and it it worked. You know, I know guys, I, I've, I have clients who are guys who pitched against Mark Pryor at USC and they said he was just, he was just ridiculous. He was insane, you know, and you saw what he was able to do at the, at the pro level while he was healthy. Uh, the problem is, is that by the mid two thousands, it was obvious that this is not a sustainable movement pattern. Prior breaks can't get healthy again. Would breaks can't get healthy again as a starter he comes back as a reliever he's okay but you know uh anthony reyes comes up with the cardinals has a has a great year or so and then he breaks and both his elbow and elbow and shoulder are done and he was just done and now he's a firefighter out in california uh and that's what really kind of got my attention was Okay, yeah, these guys are good for a couple of years and and they do throw hard. But but one of the things, one of the frustrations I had with Paul Nyman was that he would talk about, especially Nolan Ryan being an inverted W guy and Randy Johnson to a degree. And those are the two guys who really kind of helped me see this stuff because I didn't see inversion in Nolan Ryan or Randy Johnson. Their elbows got up, but they didn't get up here. They were kind of like here or so in like for the listeners through audio it's like below their acromial lines or right below the level of the shoulders yeah so not climbing above that right right uh you know the the scarecrow pattern is one way that it's described and one way it was taught in the 90s and the 2000s uh they didn't scarecrow and that's what got me frustrated with nyman and really kind of got me driving into this stuff was you know, he's he's selling something that isn't accurate. Uh, Nolan Ryan doesn't do what Paul Nyman is saying. And then Tom House started latching on to the to the Nolan Ryan stuff. And I just, you know, they were selling something that I didn't that I didn't didn't see uh, here. Let me. Sorry. So I've got a presentation. Let me see if I can share this presentation. Absolutely. And, and go through listening. Yep. This will be the YouTube link will be inserted in the show notes so you guys can go down and check that out as well yeah so these are just a bunch of bunch of pictures just to to kind of illustrate the points can you see this one this this verlander one yep i see that perfectly okay so so this is kind of the reference this picture is the reference point this is verlander a little bit longer arm uh pointing the you know his foot's down his arm is up he's pointing the ball at third base not at second base just kind of a reference point of what i'm talking about well, and, and from a timeline stamp. Do you know what year that was by chance? Uh, that is, that's like 11 or 12, I think. That sounds about right. Because they uh, they played the Cardinals in 11 in the World Series, right? So Well, and you can tell from his shoes. Uh, if he's wearing uh, Reebok shoes, then that's like before 2014 or so. He signed an Under Armour, Verlander signed an Under Armour shoe deal in 14 or 15. So his shoes changed. So basically Reebok era Verlander is the good stuff specifically. Uh, So from a timeline, and let me just, let me just mention this. Let me get it out there. Uh, 
So in 2007, on the Baseball Fever website, a guy named Kyle Body approached me and was looking for some help. And kind of long story short, Kyle Body is selling the stuff that got his own arm. And that's my frustration with Kyle Body and the driveline guys. Uh, this is an email from Kyle Body uh, where he's he's just kind of, he's been following my stuff for some period of time and he thanks me for helping him. Uh, basically he was doing the, he was doing an inverted V if not an inverted W and he was taught that. And I basically convinced him using some of the Dr. Mike Marshall stuff to stop doing that and that he would feel better uh, as a result. So the Kyle body, this is January, 2008 is this email. Uh, well, all right, so timeline. I started out trying to just adopt Dr. Mike Marshall's program, very quickly found that there were problems with it uh, and started kind of hybridizing, seeing if I could mash together Dr. Mike Marshall's conditioning stuff and some of the stuff that I observed from watching Justin Verlander and historical stuff of Nolan Ryan. Kyle Body started out with kind of the same basic idea. What Kyle Body's idea was which was a little different. And this is kind of following what Will Carroll talks about in Saving the Pitcher is mashing up Paul Nyman's mechanical stuff and Dr. Mike Marshall's conditioning stuff. If we give a pitcher this super ultra conditioning stuff that comes out of Dr. Mike Marshall, can he tolerate the Paul Nyman inverted W stuff? It was an interesting question. It was a question worth asking. The problem is, is that I think the answer very obviously is no. While some amount of conditioning is good, I don't think it's a coincidence that Nolan Ryan and Tom Seaver both had conditioning programs in their books. I don't think that conditioning is enough to overcome bad mechanical problems like the inverted W, that kind of stuff. Oh, definitely not. Yeah. No. Right. It helps. It's good, but it's not It's not a panacea. And this this next side is, slide is just to, to uh, counter something that Jeff Passan said in his book, The Arm. Uh he said that I I completely missed on Matt Harvey, and this this shows that that's not true. This is a 2013 email from uh, Matthew Giles of New York Magazine. They essentially wrote a puff piece on on Matt Harvey May 2013 before Harvey needed Tommy John surgery, and I contributed to that puff piece. But then I also said, oh by the way, I do see some mechanical stuff in Matt Harvey that concerns me a little bit. Here are a couple pictures of that. This is May 13, 2013. So Jeff Passon said, I completely missed on, on Matt Harvey. That's that's not accurate. Uh, so I started studying. So, so by 2010 or so, I decided that nobody knew anything. I decided, you know, Tom, Tom House didn't know what he was talking about in terms of Nolan Ryan. Uh, Paul Nyman didn't know what he was talking about. So I just started collecting pictures and videos of Nolan Ryan and just observe some, some interesting things. You know, Nolan Ryan may be scap loaded, but he kept his elbows low. His arm got up by the time his foot was down. This is an interesting one with the angels where Ryan's foot isn't down and his arm isn't up. Uh, one with the Rangers, the same kind of thing. His foot's almost down. His arm is almost up. I just kind of noticed these patterns. You know, okay, you could argue that Nolan Ryan's pointing the ball at center field here, but he's also kind of scap loading, but he's scap loading very differently than people talk about. So I was just seeing these pictures and realizing that there are differences between what's being sold and what you actually see in Nolan Ryan. He's moving very differently. Yeah, uh, oh, I agree with that 100%. And I wish there was more like, slow motion video back in the day to actually see some of this but 
where there's a, a difference of a scap load, right? Where right. guys are like forcing their arm back is not ideal because what Nolan's actually presenting here is scapular posterior tilt, right. not, not a full on scap retraction, um, which is something, you know, he definitely has the, the range of motion and ability to do that, but no, go ahead. I, I just want yeah. to. Yeah. No, no, but it's, it's a, it's a very important point where, where I think, you know, if, Okay, Nolan Ryan does scap load, but he was doing something very different than what Mark Pryor did at a minimum. Sure. Well, and, and, if, you and read, if you read his book, right, he said that he throws footballs right. um, other days, which also helped him not be so focused with his hand or with his elbow. He yeah. yeah. To think more of a scapular retraction or load, you know, whatever word you want to call it, just from that alone, I think. And that's why I'm a huge fan of that. No, I well the the only the, well the only thing I say to that is Tom House is now screwing up football quarterbacks the way he screwed up pitchers, and you're seeing a lot more flat arms out there, which is problematic. They are throwing harder, but they're also having trouble staying healthy. This picture of Nolan Ryan is very interesting because this just reeks of athleticism. And when you talk about body loading and core loading, this is a guy who's throwing with his entire body, not just his arm. And this, this is one of the pictures that really kind of opened my mind and blew my mind. You know, Nolan Ryan is doing some very different things than what, especially Tom house and his tall and fall. This is not tall and fall. This is drop and drive. I, I have this phrase, the, the greatest lie Tom House ever told was convincing the world that Nolan Ryan was tall and fall. Nolan Ryan and Tom Seaver, the drop and drive guys, were very similar, far more similar than they were different. They're very athletic. This is very Aroldis chapman you know, very body loading, core loading. You know, the, the arm, to a large degree, is just kind of along for the ride. Yeah, no, Absolutely. Tom Seaver, you know, it's the same kind of timing pattern. The foot's down, the arm is up. Now, this is a this is a breaking ball, so the pronation is a little bit different. But you can get the basic idea, foot down, arm up, the timing is better. Good. This is Verlander, again, that, that classic picture of Verlander. He's long-arming a little bit, and one of the reasons I'd argue he got short is people tried to shorten him up. I don't understand why people have this prejudice against long-arming. Here's Verlander absolutely in his prime in 11 or 12 long-arming the ball, pointing the ball at third base, the foot's down, the arm is up. I think, yeah, it definitely comes to a point of like how you get to that position, right? Like You don't yeah. so need to force shorter arm actions. Like I'm definitely not a fan of that either. You know, right. But, um, so I have a question here as far as some of these pictures. Obviously, if you had like yeah. by frames, it would make more sense to to see this. But what what is your definition of uh you know that front foot being down? Do you go like at the actual foot strike? Do you go where it's actually weight bearing before the actual initiation of the pelvis starting to rotate around the front femur? What is um what is All right, general generally speaking, I've learned to ignore foot plant. Okay. Because the the driveline glove side positive disconnection stuff has largely removed foot plant as a useful milestone. When I do look at the foot, all I really care about is the heel. As far as when, what, as far as when the heel is down, when the heel when the heel is planted, that's when rotation starts at a minimum. Okay, that's when lo, when the when the arm starts to come under load is when the heel plants. Sure. Well, let's say a guy wasn't corrupted by, you know, the positive disconnection or driveline stuff. 
would would that kind of change the way you would look at that guy? Well, I'll I'll look at his uh, his feet will be more relevant then. You can you can judge timing based on what the feet are doing, what the arm is doing relative to the feet. But I've you know just just for kind of full disclosure, I I don't when I'm judging timing, I want to see a center field view, and all I'm watching is the arm. I'm looking at the degree of external rotation of the arm when it starts to come under load, when the shoulders start to turn. That used to be at foot plant, but it's not consistently at foot plant anymore. And guys are getting farther and farther away from this. But this is one of the problems. And this is one of the critiques of my work is people will say, you know, well, if you look, if you judge O'Leary's stuff by foot plant, and I'll, you know, this is the, the Dowling paper on the Tommy John twist. You know, I told one of the authors, I said, don't use foot plant. I don't use foot plant anymore, but they're still evaluating my work according to foot plant. And I've already told, I've told the, the authors, you know, Will Carroll and those kinds of people, I, I don't judge timing based on foot plan anywhere. Foot plan is no longer a reliable metric. So mm-hmm. stop judging my work. Stop saying you're evaluating my work on timing and then talk about foot plan. That's not how I'm evaluating timing anymore. Okay. Because mostly because of the driveline positive disconnection stuff. Okay, that's fair. Which is why the which is why the studies are not coming out in my favor because these people they keep using foot plant and I've said ignore the feet look at the arm just look at the arm 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 maybe uh, you know maybe maybe taking the feet out of it is something to to consider right um for for me though I definitely do think you know from what we were saying earlier that you want pitching to be a full athletic body movement. Like I still think you probably need to look at everything as a whole first. And then well, maybe- no, in, in that, in that respect, yes. The, 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 the point I'm just trying to make is because of the driveline positive disconnection stuff, these guys, well, well, what, what 10 years ago would be called flying open driveline has now turned that into a benefit because it will, a guy will give a guy a velocity boost by creating a timing problem. Okay. Yep. No, I follow now. <laughs> you're, you're, you know, the, the problem is now you're looking at layers of cruft on top of layers of cruft. On yeah. Top that's of the, layers that's of the cruft. biggest thing. It's like, all right, like, and that's where you can kind of build a relationship with the player and find out, okay, like what have you experienced? What have you tried? Right. And then that helps shine some more light as to why they might be moving a certain way. So no, and that's, and you have to have, you have to know I, I've gotten better. It's I can, I can basically tell what someone's been taught, but you definitely have to have the conversation with them and know what they've been taught. I mean, cause you look at Verlander, you look at Verlander's glove side elbow in this position, basically no modern pitchers glove side is still kind of in that up and closed position anymore. In most cases, it's going to be down and pulling. Sure. And that's one of the things that kind of got me onto this was, was trying to figure out what to teach in terms of the glove side and this idea of kind of ripping the glove side or pulling with the elbow, that's where this started. And I think I think that did help boost velocity, which is why one of the reasons the the clue to the cue took off. But you know, that's one of the reasons why you don't have nearly as many Verlanders anymore, is because people are being taught stuff that is not how Justin Verlander moves, that, that cancels out a lot of how what made Verlander great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So All right, let me go through a few more of these. You know, just another one of Verlander. Fingers are on the side of the ball. is pointing the ball at third base. Uh, he's really dropped that back shoulder, which a lot of people have said is a bad idea. But this is Verlander in his prime. So, uh, you know, and these these are the pictures that I was seeing. Is people are telling me, 
here's how you've got to move. And I'm like, yeah, but Verlander is one of the best young pitchers out there. And this is 2011, 2012. He's winning the Cy Young and the MVP. And I'm like, I don't understand how this guy can be so terrible if he's winning the Cy Young and the MVP. Yeah, it doesn't no, make sense. One, he's, he's obviously had a very long career outside of that too. Obviously had some injuries, but, you know, I'd say it, it, a lot of people get stuck on being in certain positions. Right. Like, honestly, like who, uh, to a degree, and I don't want this to get a strap like too much, but who cares the position that you see at, at one point in time? Like, it's all about how everything flows and moves to that, right? Like, right. I, and, and that's that's how I want to Well, that's, that's one of the problems with the Marshall guys. They'll say you should never have your fingers on top of the ball. Well, Verlander has his fingers on top of the ball, but yeah. because he's in a long arm position, he's able to externally rotate with just kind of a flick of his wrist. So that's a, that's stupid to say that as an absolute. Verlander does it, and he yeah. lasted for a long time. That's not why he got hurt. Uh, well, and I think I think that you you highlighted that perfectly. That is probably one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of people early on, um, you know, or the, the people that you mentioned, they spoke in a lot of absolutes, and <laughs> we, we all know that like people are totally different in a lot of different ways and you can't have absolutes in, in, in a lot of things in, in life or even, you know, in, in this case, right. Right. baseball. No, it's no. And that's, and that was one of the things that alerted me to the, to the, to the problems with the Dr. Mike Marshall guys, all their absolutes. And then I started finding all these exceptions to their absolutes. And I'm like, these guys, they don't know what they're talking about. So then I just kind of threw it out and went back to the kind of the original sources and just started studying what does Verlander do? What does Nolan Ryan do? What does Tom Seaver do? What did Bob Gibson do? That kind of stuff. Sure. Oh, yeah. So this is this is Mark Pryor, the inverted W. Now, while this is this is hard to demonstrate on stage and your shoulders will end up hurting you, this isn't what got Mark Pryor in trouble. This is Anthony Reyes doing the same thing. This is these are two, you know, Pryor and Reyes are kind of house's signature tom house's signature guys inverted w the thing is is that the well what what prior was doing wasn't necessarily bad what reyes is doing is a little bit worse because you can see that his front heel is down and his elbows are still up but real fundamentally this picture shows mark prior and the real problem with mark prior isn't that he did the inverted w but that and because it created a timing problem. So this is Mark Pryor demonstrating what I call flat arm syndrome, where his foot's down and planted, his shoulders starting to turn, and his pitching arm is flat rather than up. And he's also got, Pryor's got the added problem of his elbow being above the level of his shoulders in a position of hyperabduction, which I think is what, what caused Mark, you know, didn't, didn't help Mark Pryor at all. You know, because he inverted. Sure. Uh, Here's a picture of Strasburg showing kind of a very similar pattern where, you know, yes, Strasburg did the inverted W, but really what became the problem and what got Strasburg was his the timing problem that it created. And one thing you'll notice is that he's he's throwing a change up here. A lot of pitchers break on their changeups because one of the tricks, and this is this is a trick for throwing a good hard changeup. I I first learned it from watching Michael Waka. A lot of guys their changeups are so nasty because they actually, if their fastball is 97, they'll actually throw their changeup with a 100 mile an hour arm action and body action. They will look like they are absolutely ripping their hardest fastball at you, but because they're gripping the hell out of the ball, 
the ball's going to come out at 90. Sure. But it looks like they're throwing 100. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Strasburg in this kind of bad flat arm position is throwing a change up in this picture. Uh, you know, but this is, you know, for all of Strasburg's inversion and inverted W's and all elbow lifting and everything, this really is the smoking gun for Strasburg that it created his inverted W created a timing problem as it tends to do. Doesn't always do, but very often does. You know, Kerry Wood, just the standard, you know, flat arm syndrome. The foot's down, the shoulders are turning, the arm is flat rather than up. Uh, and, and I was comparing, this is this is David Price, this is David Price with Detroit, who I, I thought the Detroit era David Price was really kind of amazing. I, I shot a lot of video of David Price. And, and I should mention, you know, okay, I'm going to use pictures here, but, you know, I drove to Kansas City, I drove to Detroit, I went down to Florida to see David Price pitch. I drove to Detroit 10 times to see Justin Verlander pitch and shoot video of Verlander. I've got a $3,000 camera rig now. I'm shooting and working off of high-speed video. These pictures are just for illustrative purposes, so I don't, you know, puke out my internet connection. But <laughs> this is a really interesting picture of David Price. Now, I will say one difference between David Price and Justin Verlander. One reason I went with Verlander over Price is that David Price is a little more glove side sooner. David Price is a little more drive liney on that glove side where Price is. You can see Price is arm is up his foot is down his glove side is pulling a little more than verlander which is one of the reasons why i picked verlander as my model rather than david price but this is still a really nice position david price does have a little bit of the tommy john twist and i'll explain this more but a lot of that is because this is more scat it's more scap loading than anything these the these these detroit era david price pictures are, are really really very nice this is one from the all-star game where you know he is a little more glovey than Verlander, which is why Verlander was my one and David Price was my number two. And I do think some of this is why David Price didn't age as well as Justin Verlander. But these Detroit-era David Price pictures are really just kind of insanely great. Uh, this is, you know, but what I noticed was I was studying, you know, I'm studying Verlander, I'm studying David Price, and then Matt Harvey comes along. And I'm just seeing these pictures and Harvey's arm just doesn't get up. And this is one of the pictures I referred to in that email where, you know, okay, yeah, you want to do a pimp job on Matt Harvey. And I understand this, but I see this picture of Matt Harvey and his arm isn't nearly as up and his glove side's pulling and his shoulders are starting to turn. And I'm a little nervous about Matt Harvey in May 2013 and Harvey broke in, in August of 2013. Uh and again, here's the, here's the email to to New York Magazine. You can I'm interviewed in that piece, and unfortunately, my my negative comments about Harvey didn't make it into the piece because it was a puff piece, you know. So I go back and I start I go on the road and start following Justin Verlander around. Uh, you could say I was stalking him, but really I was doing it out of love. Uh, but this is Ver, this is Detroit era Verlander because of the trade. You know, the front elbows up. He's he's doing Mariana Rivera's gun sight pointed at the target kind of thing. He's pointed the ball at third base. He's not doing the Tommy John twist. He's not pointing the ball at second base or showing the ball to the center fielder. This is just kind of a, amazing stuff. And this is why, you know, until I got sick with a concussion, I was driving to Detroit for every one of Verlander's home starts. And I saw him in Chicago and was kind of driving all over the Midwest trying to gobble him up because it was obvious that 2015, 2016 era Justin Verlander was back. 
uh, you know, this is Trevor Clifton who was kind of made clear the problem of flat arm syndrome. Let me see flat arm syndrome. If you compare Justin Verlander foot down, arm is up. Trevor Clifton foot down, arm is flat. This is how I saw flat arm syndrome. And, you know, these, the, the what before had been a subtle timing problem is now a 90 degree difference where the pitching arm instead of being up and now is flat and Trevor Clifton helped me see that, you know, this is just that basically comparison. You can see they're at the same kind of basic moment in time. Verlander's arm is up. Clifton's arm is flat. That's kind of the essence of things. And if, you know, the problem with the Tommy John twist, the problem with the inverted W, the problem with all the stuff is that it tends to create this flat arm problem. This flat arm syndrome is the real kind of core problem. And that's the point I've been trying to make since 2010, but not everybody is really kind of taking it. It's the timing, stupid. Hunter Green showing the Tommy John twist where his thumb is down and his arms kind of twisted. And as a result, his arm is flat rather than up. Uh, A lot of that twisting, you know, a lot of people talk about this as having that reciprocal inhibition of the forearm where that hand is pointed towards second base. Right. Initially there or center or center field center field. Yeah. Either way you want to look at it. It's not facing towards if you're righty third base or lefty first base to have a more neutral position and give your forearm muscles more, of an opportunity to be able to protect that forearm. And well, and that's, and that's exactly the point, you know, the muscles of the forearm, you know, the, the ligament isn't strong enough in and of itself to handle the load. So what in a, in a proper throwing motion, the muscles of the forearm contribute to carry some of the load. If you do the Tommy John twist as Hunter Green is doing here, you're going to deactivate those muscles or at least reduce their ability to handle that load at the, prime moment of peak load on the arm which may allow you to throw harder by creating more external rotation but you know hunter green has already had tommy john surgery he had a major velocity drop and then the next day the reds decided to extend him i think the hunter green deal is going to turn out to be a disaster and obviously and was obviously so the day before uh, but but you know Hunter Green is kind of the the prime example of the Tommy John twist creating a timing problem. And again, the core problem is the timing problem. All these the inverted L, the inverted W, inverted V, Tommy John twist, all this stuff that I talk about. The core problem is that it tends to create a timing problem. And the velocity gains come from the timing problem, but so do the injuries. Sure. Let me just go through a couple more of these. Shelby Miller is kind of where I first started to see the the Tommy John twist. And then I saw, oh, God, this this guy, his arm is just not getting up. I wonder if it's related to the Tommy John twist. Uh, Cliff Lee, I loved his glove side so much that I forgot to look at his pitching arm side. But you can see Cliff Lee doing the Tommy John twist. Uh, Cliff Lee was one of my biggest misses. And I just missed the Tommy John twist and Cliff Lee. but you know his he's twisted and the arm doesn't get up on time, which is why a guy I liked so much ended up breaking. And you know Cliff Lee was a was a big miss on my part. Uh, Jose Fernandez I did get right because I by that time I'd learned from Cliff Lee, and you can see Jose Fernandez twist. Uh, may he rest in peace, mm-hmm. uh, creating a timing problem. Uh, you know Hunter Harvey of the of the Orioles, the Nationals now. Very good illustration, one of the best ones I've seen of how the Tommy John twist creates this flat arm syndrome, this timing problem. Uh, Mark Appel, you know, 
it's a, it's a sad story and it's a great, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see his resilience, but Mark Appel never really changed anything. Unfortunately, Alex Reyes, you know, of the Cardinals, now the Dodgers, uh, another example of Tommy John twist, creating a timing problem, creating this flat arm syndrome, Justin Verlander, what happened? I've, I've taken a lot of flack from Verlander. Well, the difference is, is that Verlander went from being this very kind of clean point, the ball at third base arm action. And now somewhere along the way, Justin Verlander started doing the Tommy John twist. He started pointing the ball at second base or more at second base than he used to, which has created a timing problem. And, and, it's frustrating because I saw this from the first clips I saw. This is like the first clip, the first clip of Verlander in a uh, Mets outfit. And I'm like, Oh God, this is, that's the Tommy John twist. Uh, in terms of what to do, you know, a roll this Chapman is, is body loading is core loading is moving very athletically. Shohei Otani flat arm syndrome. He seemed to, to clean up for a while, but now that his velocity is up as a result of the World Baseball Classic, I'm I'm not really thrilled about Otani's shoulder holding up. Spencer Strider, another change-up flat arm syndrome kind of guy. I don't see Spencer Strider really lasting. You know, and then just to, to close with a couple of pictures of Verlander, the foot's down, the arm is up. This is a change-up, but his arm is up. It's interesting to compare between Strider, change-up, flat arm, Verlander, change-up, arm is up. Uh you know, and then this this kind of basic picture of Verlander again. Uh, any any questions before I close out of the out of the presentation? Uh, I mean, the only question would be, you know, obviously there's all great examples here, and if those of you listening definitely check out this video on YouTube to see some of this as well. But you know, what's what's a good solution to to for these guys? Let's say, you know, Shohei or whoever calls you up and is like, hey, like, what do I do now? Well, it's tough. It's very hard to change. I did. I've done some work with Adam Wainwright. Uh, 14, 15, 16. He, he kind of approached me and essentially. Well, so let's go back to Max Scherzer. So Max Scherzer at Mizzou was an inverted W guy. I never talked to Scherzer. I never talked to Boris, although I taught or I had some run-ins with Boris's son. So Boris knows who I am. Essentially, what what Scherzer did is Scherzer basically put in a bunch of stuff to work around his inverted W, which is why Max Scherzer has been able to last. Uh, and he did that stuff at in Detroit. He did it especially with the Nationals. Uh, he did it. He's he's done it less with the Dodgers. I think what happened with the Dodgers is the Dodgers tried to squeeze a couple extra miles an hour out of Scherzer when he was with the Dodgers and ended up breaking him, getting him back to more of an inverted W, getting him back to more of a timing problem, which is why Scherzer is not performing as well with the, the Mets uh, as he had in the past, you know, uh, the sticky stuff, notwithstanding. Uh, but it's, you know, it's, uh, You know, Scherzer is an example of a guy who can change. He had to he had to do a lot of work uh, in yeah. order to be able to make that change, but it it did work, and it, it worked for fifteen years or so. Uh, but a lot of it depended on his taking out a lot of the stuff that he put in at Mizzou. So Max Scherzer, with the Nationals in particular, uh, also with the Tigers, was a very different pitcher than he was at Mizzou, uh, and he had to do a lot of work. He had to he had to work at it very deliberately. You know, 
I, I did. I, I learned some stuff from Scherzer to help Wainwright, uh, to help Wainwright get back on time. Now, one of the things that helped Wainwright is that he got comfortable throwing around 90. Uh, it seems like as you get north of 93, 94, as you, the harder you try to throw, the less margin for error you have. Uh, but I, I did teach, you know, kind of my success with Wainwright was teaching him stuff that I got from watching Scherzer, uh, basically these workarounds that Scherzer put in place. But the hard part with Scherzer is he has a very complicated motion as a result. And I wouldn't teach anybody to move like Max Scherzer because there's so many moving parts. Yes, yes, it's worked for him, but you've got all this stuff that he put in and then all these workarounds piled on top of that to take out the stuff that he worked in and make it less of an issue. I would suggest that guys should first try moving like Justin Verlander, like Nolan Ryan, like Aroldis Chapman and try to get away from this whole, how do we take out the stuff that we've put in thing? Because taking stuff out is very complicated. It is possible. Scherzer's proven that it's possible. Wainwright has proven that it's possible, but it's, it's also relatively rare. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a lot of reps that they have to undo at that certain point, I guess, too. Right. You have to be extremely motivated. You have to be very in touch with your body and able to sense what's going on with your body to have that proprioception. And I don't think everybody has that proprioception, you know, to, to be able to see, okay, my arm didn't get up that time. I've worked with a few other guys who were kind of able to pull it off, but it's, it's really, it's really difficult when you, it's really hard to take out the tricks and shortcuts once they've been put in, which is why I'm trying to get people to, can we just be patient and try the athletic body loading, a roll this Chapman, Justin Verlander, Nolan Ryan movement pattern first, because, you know, Aroldis Chapman still throws harder than Mark Pryor ever did. Even after the surgery. Yeah. Right. Even at, even after the surgeries, you know, that seems pretty good. Okay. Yes. You have to be more patient. Maybe it requires a certain level of athleticism, but why not give it a shot? Why immediately go Mark Pryor? That's, I just don't, I don't understand that. It doesn't make sense to me. No. Yeah. I totally get it. I love it. Well, um, yeah, I I'm, want to be respectful of your time, Chris. And I, I'm I'm okay. Whatever you want to talk about, I can talk about. No, yeah, we're good. Um, I'm I've been I've been boycotted by the establishment. You're the first person I've talked to in ten years because of that freaking Jeff Passan book, and you know, he just he just he just killed me by just lying his ass off about me. And I mean, people should understand. Jeff Passan had a kid who was just coming up and learning to play the game. And and Jeff Passan's book, The Arm, was an exercise in his trying to debunk the stuff that I said that pa- so that Passan didn't have to feel bad about teaching his kid the Tommy John twist and and those kinds of things. Well, and here, now that now she can see me, let me illustrate the Tommy John twist. So if you look at Verlander, his palm is facing third base. The Tommy John twist is this 90 degree rotation where you're pointing the ball at second base or at center field, just so people can understand what we're talking about. Instead of kind of doing like a high five, you're twisting the arm. And the problem is, is that by twisting the arm, you're tending to get the elbow up and the arm gets flatter because it's more comfortable to throw from here. But now all of a sudden, because I'm twisted, I'm also in a flat arm position. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've never seen anyone naturally do that 
And I, it's well, it's I've actually studied the history of that. And basically it came out of the San Diego School of Baseball 30 years ago. It was a drill that someone came up with and it just spread like a virus. And now everybody teaches it because everybody teaches it and nobody understands why they teach it. It's just what you teach because it's what everybody teaches. And it's not what kids do naturally. If you if you naturally have a kid throw, they're going to point the ball at third base for a righty, first base for a lefty. Absolutely. Most kids, and this is one of the frustrating parts, most kids naturally will have a relatively clean, long arm action. They will. Uh, oh, yeah. Generally speaking, you're just going to screw them. Most kids naturally move like Detroit Tigers era Reebok shoes, Justin Verlander. Generally speaking, most people only screw up kids. Uh, now, there are a few things you have to do to deal with the problem of kind of pushing the ball and throwing like a girl, that kind of stuff. But that's that's footwork. That's not arm action stuff. Yeah, no, I I, don't, I totally agree. And being in the general thing of, uh, of out of all this general theme would be to say athletic. Try not to right. do this too right. much with right. your arm. Let your body do the work let everything yep. flow up and you know then it then it becomes electric and i love i love the the added piece of of being patient that's right. right no it's i think that's i mean that's that's life that's a that's a simple basic rule of life is being patient letting your body develop you know not trying to get ahead of yourself not you know not not trying to not trying to have a 12 year old do something that you should feel bad about having an 18 or even a 25 year old doing yeah, no, absolutely. I, I agree with that. So, well, Chris, where, where can people get a hold of you? Where, where can they find you? I know your, your Twitter handle is at the pain guy, um, but right. where else can they get a hold of you? And then just, you know, chrisoleary.com. You know, if you search a lot of the terms, you know, Tommy John twist, that kind of stuff, those will all bring me to my pages. So I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to get the word out and get people to understand this is, this is, these are new ideas and these are problematic ideas and they're, tied into why pitchers are breaking. So I, you know, I appreciate you giving me a chance to, to, to try to kind of pound the drum and, and get the word out. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Appreciate you taking the time to come on. And for those of you listening, watching, stay in zone. 